0: Lord, let our hearts and souls and minds be good soil this morning, that your word would penetrate, take root, grow, and change us to be more like Christ, that we might live kingdom-first lives for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So there is something that we as North Texans really seem to like to do. We like to cut other drivers off when we drive. That is true, but it is not the thing I'm talking about. We also like to get mad at people who get mad at us for cutting them off. That is also not what I want to discuss. We also probably like to buy far too many things to go into our homes. That too is not really what I want to talk about. There is something that we like to do. We like to build stuff. Everywhere you go, there is a road that is under construction because it is being widened. There is an ER, a Starbucks, or a nail salon being built at all times, and sometimes right next to each other. We like to build stuff, homes. You know how many homes we are building? In May of 2013, that's when we moved to Frisco, four years ago, and the neighborhood we moved into, when we moved in, there were two model homes, two homes that were kinda halfway built, A bunch of foundations and our house. That was it. Today, in that neighborhood, there are almost 500 homes. Not just built, but like there's people living in them. And around that, three other neighborhoods that are all part of this Phillips Creek Ranch thing 2,000 homes in four years. That's just one section. We like building stuff. Especially homes. Did you know that God was in the construction business? In fact, He has one major project He's been working on building a home. And you get this all the way back in Exodus. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exodus 25, 8. Let them make a sanctuary that I can dwell in their midst. God wants to dwell with his people. And he built a tent. And then he built a temple. And there was another temple. I mean, he wants to dwell with his people. That's his building projects, and yet, did you know that in 2013, 45% of the homes in the United States had a code violation? Almost half of the homes in America had a code violation. And sometimes those things can be expensive. I mean, sometimes you gotta put a bunch of money into fixing things to get it up to code, and sometimes it's worse. Sometimes you have something like black mold that can't be contained, and the building has to be condemned. It's not livable anymore. The first human couple, they made a significant code violation. God made this beautiful world, this beautiful temple with heaven and earth joined together and he's dwelling with them, and they rebelled. They chose their own way. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, and then something much worse than black mold came into creation, sin, pain, and hate, and immorality, and death, and sickness, all this stuff came in, and God tore apart heaven and earth. And from that point on in scripture, he makes his abode in the heavens. Except the entire time, he still wants to be with his people. He still wants to dwell in their midst. And so he makes a tabernacle. He makes a tent. He says, I'm gonna come dwell with them. And then there's a temple. And he comes and he dwells with them. But again, something happens. Did you know that of the top 10 code violations, the number one in the residential world is missing documentation. It's coming in and not having the right paperwork. That's the number one code violation in residences. You know the number one code violation of Israel? Missing documentation. At times, they didn't even have the word they defined it. At other times, they just disregarded it. And when they violated the codes, God moved on because the building was no longer livable. He builds a tent, and he builds a temple. Then he builds another temple, although he never actually dwells in it. And then it's Jesus. He actually goes a different direction. He takes up abode in Christ. Christ becomes the temple. There's a place in John where he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. And then John clarifies. He's talking about himself. And Jesus says to the disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And Paul writes in Philippians that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. The author of Hebrews says he's the exact representation Of the Father. And then there's the very famous one out of Matthew that everybody knows. He will be called Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. You see, it went tent, temple, continued violations, Jesus. God would continue to dwell with his people in Christ, except we all know what happened, right? He was crucified, he rose, and he ascended. He's not here physically on the earth now. How is it that God continues to dwell with his people? Or did he just give that whole plan up because we kept doing all these code violations? You just got tired of it. Tent, temple, Jesus, how does God dwell with his people now? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Go to verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, and cornerstone here is the stone. And there are they have found these from this first century. They're gigantic, and everything's built off of them. That's Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you understand what he's saying? God wants to be with his people. He wants to dwell with them. So there's a tent. Then there's a temple. Then there is Jesus And now, there's us, the church. He is building us to be his dwelling place. Let that sink in. You and I are being built together that God would dwell in us. This would be his presence on earth, us. Hey, and if that's not enough, when Paul gets to that point, that's when he goes on and he goes, For this reason, I, Paul, and I said last week, something's happening here. This is like a climactic moment for Paul. He has just stated a very profound thing, but even that thing isn't enough. Paul wants to say something that is mind blowing. Go to verse 19 of chapter 3. I'm going to give you the end of his prayer. This is what we're going to talk about today, but I'm going to give you the end of the prayer. This is ultimately what he is praying for that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have you ever had a really special guest over to your house? We just recently had one. Our bishop came to our home, had dinner with us, stayed and talked to some of the leaders. Our bishop came over. Let me tell you what happened on that night. We cleaned our house Now, if you come to our house, we're going to clean our house, but not like we cleaned it for the bishop. We cleaned our house and we cooked for the bishop. If you come to our house, I will cook for you, but not like I cooked for the bishop. I called and found out what he liked and then made something really special for the bishop. And before he came over, we talked to our children about appropriate behavior. (laughs) If you come to our house, we will not do that. You will get our kids as they are. And we drugged our dog. <laughs> now my vet is sitting right there, so it's okay, and he gave me the drugs. We will not drug our dog if you come over. He will ju- she will jump all over you and it's okay, but you're not the bishop. We went nuts on getting our home ready for the bishop to come over. God wants to dwell in us. What are we doing about that? How special to us is that? But see, Paul's prayer doesn't stop with the bishop or the, with God dwelling with us. He says, I want you to have all the fullness of God. You see, it's not just the bishop coming over for dinner. It's the bishop coming and living at our house and taking over. Directing our lives and saying, I want you to live this way, and us going, all right, I'm following you, Bish. I don't call him that. At <laughs> least well, not to his face. Although he wouldn't mind. Bishop Todd is like that. he say hey Bish, he'd be like, Yeah, I'm here. Live with us. All the fullness of God. Can you even? imagine. But that's what he wants. He wants us to know, to experience the fullness of God in our lives. Everything God wants for us, everything we were designed to be, everything it means to truly be a follower of the living God. That's what Paul is praying for. How does that happen? How do we get to that point? Well, there are two very important code violations that will keep that from happening. Look back, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14 of Ephesians. Remember, in chapter one, in verse one, he started, for this reason, and then he went on this digression that was very important. We talked about it last week, but now he's starting over that same prayer, right? And this is in light of this building that he's talking about at the end of chapter two, right? He says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, for us, we think about bowing as something pretty regular, Uh, We don't always do it, but it is a regular kind of idea that we think about with prayer. We bow. That was not the traditional way of praying in the first century. It was standing. This is a significant thing. And remember, when he says, I, Paul, even at that point, it's a climactic moment. This is really important to Paul. He says, I'm bowing my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Now he is, this actually heaven is plural in Greek, it's heavenlies, it's the same term he's been using throughout. He is incorporating everything in existence. I am bowing before the originator of all things, the caretaker of all things, the reason that existence exists. I am bowing before him. That according to the riches of his glory, and we've talked about those because he keeps using this kinds of language in Ephesians, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I'm praying for something very specific, Paul says. I'm praying that out of the riches of his glory, he will strengthen you. Right, you need to be strengthened in your inner being for something. Right, this, you need a power that you don't naturally have. Right, have you ever tried to lift something too heavy for you to lift? Have you ever been put under pressure by something that you just couldn't stand on your own, you needed somebody else to help you? Now, he's saying, you need to be strengthened for what I'm praying for. Now, you can't handle this on your own. I want you to be strengthened in your inner being, and here's why. This is what you need to be strengthened for, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. <coughs> He has said over a dozen times so far that we are in Christ. But this is the point Ray says. All right, you're in Christ, but I want Christ and dwell. Doesn't it, dwell sounds almost passive. Dwell can give you the idea of I just want Him to be there. I like Jesus is in my heart. Right? It's more than that. This word is to live. This word is an active, powerful idea. I am praying that you would be strengthened to the point that Christ Jesus can live his life out of you. Very small example of what I mean. Every once in a while, I'll be talking with somebody, they'll be sharing something, and I will begin to have this strong desire To pray for this person. Sometimes I will, and sometimes, here's my confession. Sometimes I feel foolish. Sometimes I feel like I don't know that I can say anything right for this person right now. And I'm just gonna say stuff that's gonna sound dumb. Sometimes, this is the real depths of my confession. Sometimes I even doubt whether if I say anything, it'll mean anything. And so you know what I do? I don't pray. But you know what I can tell you? Christ living in me is driving me to pray in that moment. And I am not. I am not living out Christ in me. If you are in Christ... He is in you, and he is wanting you to live a certain way. He is trying to drive your life, He's not just, in our home, we have a guest room, and the reason we have the guest room is because none of our parents live in Texas, and so they will come and visit, and they'll stay for a week or 10 days or something like that. I am pretty sure that most of the time, I relegate Christ to a guest room in my life. Yes, you can dwell here for a little bit, for right now, and maybe at this point over here, and maybe at this point over here. And Christ wants to bust out of that guest room and take over the entire place and say, now live as I am directing you. And Paul is praying, you need to be strengthened to do that. Right, here is another way that Paul has said this, and you can see the power in it. Right, this is out of Galatians. Galatians chapter two, Paul writes it in this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I who live, but he is living so much out of me That everything I'm doing is what he wants, not what I want. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, which was part of Paul's prayer. If you look back at his prayer, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Same idea. He's praying that you have the strength for Christ to run your life, to run my life. As many of you know, and maybe all, Anton, has had his transplant. Um, I wanna read a little paragraph that um, Christy wrote that describes everything up to this point in a short paragraph. Um, But she did a very nice job of just summarizing what had happened. Anton Boucher was diagnosed with aggressive acute myeloid leukemia on January 9th, 2017. He received a total of one induction round of chemo, which kept him in the hospital for all of January. He then received four additional um, consolidation rounds of chemo, February through May, which required week-long hospitalizations each time. Finally, he received his strongest round of chemo to date, starting June 6th, and received a stem cell transplant on June 14th. He was released after 24 days inpatient. He is now home, recovering, and working towards regaining life, getting healthy, and praying for a successful transplant with no relapse. Why a transplant? I wanna read from um, the Mayo Clinic, this is their description. Why do cancer patients consider these transplants? While high doses of chemotherapy and radiation can effectively kill cancer cells, they can have an unwarranted side effect. They can also destroy bone marrow where blood cells are made. The purpose of a stem cell transplant or a bone marrow transplant is to replenish the body with healthy cells and bone marrow when chemotherapy and radiation are finished. After a successful transplant, the bone marrow will start to produce new blood cells. In some cases, the transplant can have an added benefit. The new blood cells will attack and destroy any cancer cells that survived the initial treatment. It's the irradiation of all of that cancer and then the replacement of it. And listen to these words. This was written by Christy on July 11th. Anton is doing so well these past few days. Our low moments the other day were made up for by busying ourselves at home. We have moments of palpable fear, but we usually push past them by focusing on the here and the now. We actually teared up at dinner the other night, simultaneously, for no apparent reason. I whispered to him, You have to live. You have to live. You see, sin destroys life, destroys it. And it is not enough to try to get rid of sin from your life. You cannot just eradicate sin. It has to be replaced. It has to have a new life put in it. It has to be completely renewed. And this is what she wrote on July 14th. This guy, referring to her husband, is about to undergo a bone marrow biopsy. We need to know if any leukemia is still present in Anton's marrow. And we also need to know, and this is the line, we need to know if the donor marrow has taken over. And she says in parentheses, we want it to. Paul is praying that Jesus and his life would completely take over. Not just try to eradicate sin, but replace it with his life. That he would start to make the new cells. That what we did would be out of his life in us. Not the old life, but that made alive in Christ, we talked all about being dead in trespasses and sins. Paul is saying now, and that being made alive in Christ, I want you to completely live out of him. I want you to say yes at times when you don't have the strength to say yes. I want you to listen to the life that is growing inside of you that is Christ and to have the same mind as Paul that says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That is what he's praying for. I'm gonna ask you right now, if you are able to. If you are not able to, for physical reasons, that is just fine, stay exactly where you are. If you are able to, I want you right now to bow to your knees, because this was a prayer that Paul offered, and we're gonna offer it right now. This was not just something that Paul says, go force yourself to do it. He says, this is what I'm praying for, and so as a congregation, we're gonna pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, strengthen us by your Spirit to the riches of your glory, that we might be strong enough to let Christ live in us, to completely give over our lives to him, that he would eradicate everything that is not of you, and that we would have the power to live the way he calls us to live. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. The first thing that stands in the way of all of the fullness of God is when we won't give ourselves to the fullness of Christ. It's the first code violation. The second, he continues in verse 17 that you being rooted and grounded in love. I wish I had an entire, I don't know, month to talk about that. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Not enough of us recognize that we are rooted and grounded in love. Not enough of us are living out of that love. That's what he says, this is what you are, you're rooted and grounded in love may have strength, gotta have more strength. Gotta have strength for Christ to live in. You gotta have more strength now. Here it is. To comprehend, a better term here, comprehend might give you the idea that you're gonna get a complete understanding. Um, If you've read any parts of the Old Testament especially, you will know that you are never going to fully understand God. This would be better translated, I think, in this case, to grasp, to, to get a hold of, Doesn't mean you understand it all, but you get a hold of it. To grasp with all the saints, everybody, this is a unity thing. This is a building where we're all being built. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of, Paul does not give the object of that. He literally stops right there. There's, just, there's a dash. Right? It's one of two things. I'm gonna tell you what I think it is. I think this is the plan that he has been talking about this entire time. All of these things that God is about, this mystery before the foundations of the world, everything Paul's been trying to convey over the last two chapters in particular, but it is highlighted in one particular thing, the love of Christ. He started with love right in the beginning and it carries through. This whole rooted and established in love so that he goes on to say this, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean a dumb love. It doesn't mean a completely, like, irrational love. That's not what he means by this. He doesn't mean a love that makes no sense. It has a little of that in it. This is what I think he means. I'm assuming if you have children that you love them. I'm also assuming that occasionally you're not sure why. Occasionally they do some things and you go, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? And you even think to yourself, how, what what is happening? But you love them. And, And think about some of the things that you love. Many of the things that we love, we love them because of what they do for us. We love them because we've grown to love them over time. There's all these reasons why we love these things. What do you love more than anything in this world? Your kids. It is not because of what they do for you. I mean, think about what your kids do for you. (laughs) I am surprised I still have hair. I mean, what they do to you is drive you nuts. But you do desperately love them, you're willing to do anything for your kids, that is a love that goes beyond knowledge, beyond understanding. It surpasses it. It's not that I could just sit down and go, well, because of number one and number two and number three and number four and number five, these are the reasons that I love my children. Something up here that I can't fully even explain that I've shared one other time in here. I I still vividly, vividly remember standing over my first child, putting her diaper on, in the the room where she was given birth. I mean, she's been birthed for like 10 minutes. I'm standing over her and I'm going, I have never known a love like this before. I just met you. I don't know anything about you. Like, I, and, and like, if anybody tries to hurt you right now, I'll die for you. And And I'm thinking to myself, because I do these things, I'm going, what is wrong with me? Like, how can I feel this already? Like, I don't even... That kind of love is how Christ feels about you. That is how he feels about you. All the time. He felt that way about you before you were born, he will feel that way about you when you die, he feels that way about you when you don't like him, he feels that way about you when you sin, he feels that way about you when you serve, he always feels that way about you and Paul's saying, I want you to have the strength to grasp a love that is so deep and wide, and long, and uncompromising, and unfailing. That it surpasses your knowledge. But if you don't have that love, if you don't work out of that love, something will always be wrong in your faith. You won't know the fullness of God because it comes out of that love. And by the way, that love is part of what gives me the strength to let Christ live in me. So what if I look like a fool? I'm rooted and grounded in a love that cannot fail. And you know what? Every time, hey, listen to this, you cannot fully know that love without living into it. When you let Christ live in you and you do the things that he wants to do you will see his love in greater ways. This is the John eight thirty one and 32. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and choose truth will you. But only if you abide in my word, only if you're doing what I do. That is how you're knowing truth and being set free. It's also how you know love in this very deep way. If, here's the code violation. Living out of legalism. Living out of trying to earn something from God. Living out of an emotional feeling only. And when I don't have that, I don't do it. All of these things, they aren't true. They aren't real. And they are code violations. Because what we're called to live out of is this completely unstoppable love of Christ. Another way that Paul describes this love is in the book of Romans. And he says it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, and listen to this list, That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, not our doubts, not our fears, not our wrong thinking, there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot be separated. From his love, no matter what's going on in your life. And Paul is praying that we will grasp that. We will hold on to it at all times. The two things in this prayer let Christ live out of you, let him be your life, and hold on to a love that cannot be defeated, cannot be moved, cannot be taken away, live out of those things. And in doing that, he comes to the end of the prayer. That, so that, in order that, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Top 10 code violations. Number one, I already told you, missing documentation. Don't misplace your documentation. Hold on to it. Dwell on it. Get into it. The next four of the top five, they are all structural. Every one of them not electric, I mean, there's all kinds of other things that can be code violations, the next four are all structural. Brothers and sisters, he wants us to be his temple. Brick by brick by brick by brick by brick by brick. He wants us to be his temple. He wants us to be built into this structure where all the fullness of God will dwell but the structural code violations will stand in the way of that. Now, God will dwell with you, even if you have lots of violations in your life. If you've given your life to Christ, God is dwelling with you. But Paul wants more. He wants all the fullness of God to be with us. He's not satisfied with just saying, yeah, come on over and hang out in my guest room for a little while. He says, I want the fullness of God. I want God to walk into your home and take over. And I want you, I want it to happen with you knowing it is all out of love. Let's let God take over and be that dwelling place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, twice Paul prayed for strength. Will you give us the strength not that we already have it in ourselves, but that you might provide it. Lord, that we could say yes to the life of Christ in us and that we could grasp and hold on to the love of Christ for us. Lord, give us that by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.